0: We'll pick up at the last verse of chapter 44, God speaking, Isaiah prophesying, and the Lord says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And then chapter 45, thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no other God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create the darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Rain down, you heavens from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, who has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting? Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hand stretched out the heavens and all their hosts I have commanded. I've raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free. Not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. And those are the passages. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would minister to all in the hearing of my voice through the power of your living word. That the trials of life and each of us can express an issue similar or greater than what I declare today in regards to my own family but Lord, you, you got it handled, and your word declares that. And Lord, we've, we find ourselves in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We seem to open your word, and it just doesn't seem to speak. And I can imagine the Israelites reading this passage of Scripture of time that have yet to even come wondering, what is the point? But yet, Lord, here we are thousands of years later, and we will be amazed because your word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. It speaks beyond the space-time continuum. It's a word that we can count on, one that we can lay as the foundation of our life as we spend time as a congregation memorizing it. We do it not in an exercise of futility, but in an establishment of our lives and for generations to come that we would assure them trees of whose shade we will never know. And so, God, please, minister to your people, Touch every heart that's present. By the power of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Please be seated. This passage of scripture hit me pretty heavy. I was deeply blessed by it. It begins with this prophetic utterance of Isaiah, and I want to put it into context for you. Isaiah is dealing with Hezekiah. Hezekiah has been told he's going to live 15 more years. He says, but your kids are going to be sent into exile into Babylon, 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 the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. This is an impregnable city. It is surrounded by the Euphrates river. It's a deep moat that can't be crossed. It is walls that are 20 to 22 stories high, wide enough to run two or three chariots side by side around the entire expanse of the wall on its roof. This is a massive structure. It is one that dominates the known world, and it has gone through the Egyptians like a hot knife through butter, and only because of of the interference of one heavenly angel were the Assyrians stopped. But in time, God will allow, by their idolatry, to be taken into captivity into Babylon and the Jews would be subject to this pagan domination and be placed in Babylon as exiles. And the reason why is they're they're going to drift away from a God that has delivered them. They're going to abandon his word. They're not going to raise their families in relation to this. And God will have them in exile. And he's going to say to them through the prophet Jeremiah, pray for the peace of the city for in its peace, you'll have peace. And this is a, a word that will be given to them. They're going to be in exile Build houses, plant vineyards, be given in marriage, give your children in marriage, pray for the peace of the city, for in his peace, you'll have peace. And as he's saying this, he, th- these people are reading it going, what is comforting in this? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you hope in the future. But God, I'm going to be in a nation that's not my own. I'm going to be in exile. Similar to all of us here in California, we're in exile. We're wondering where, where what, what happened? Who took over? And, and this is, this is, they're going to be in the midst of a pagan culture. They're going to be monotheistic. They're going to be building their families around the, the, the substance and the strength of the word of God. They're going to hide God's word in their heart that they might not sin against them. Everything about their culture is going to be established by the word of God. They're going to go forward in relation to this. They're going to be praying for this community. And yet they're going to be surrounded by paganism on all sides. They're going to be a minority. Again, California. And, and the whining, as I've said many times before, Stop. You have been placed here for such a time as this. And and if you want to whine, move. We're looking for Gideon's army. And the idea is one man and God constitutes a majority. And so here they are and they're in exile. And, And this isn't even transpired yet. All this is going to happen later. And God, through Isaiah, says, listen, when you're in exile a few hundred years from now, In Babylon, after Hezekiah passes from the scene and Manasseh comes out and you guys do evil and then you're all sent into captivity, then I want you to know about this guy named Cyrus. Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great. He's he's historical. We know much about him. I want to show you a picture of Cyrus the Great. You've seen it in history books. It's fascinating. Cyrus the Great is known throughout history. Here he is. The Medo-Persian Empire was under his domination, his rule. It extended all the way to India, went through all of, uh, of Iran and Iraq and, and up into Azerbaijan and Armenia, went into parts of Africa. It was massive. And he wasn't even on the scene. You had the Babylonians and the Medo-Persian Empire comes in. Medo-Persian Empire is his. And, and he, would, he would grow great. He would grow great. Amazing guy and, and he 's he's quoted many people have done many people have done uh, management books based on his quotes. Uh, folks believe that he was a, a poor individual in a commoner 's house that rose to this this great position. And he had common sense because he had learned how to run businesses. He had learned how to operate a farm. And when he stepped into this position of authority, he knew how to rule in such a way as to conquer empires that would aid him in conquering even more empires. And and here's what he, here's some of his quotes and they're used in management books to this day. Whenever you can act as a liberator, freedom, dignity, wealth, these three together constitute the greatest happiness of humanity. If you bequeath all three to your people, their love for you will never die. Freedom, dignity, wealth, freedom, dignity, wealth, act as a liberator, act as a liberator, bring liberty, freedom, dignity, wealth, dignity, wealth. Fascinating to me. You look at a man like that and you go, Hey, that's a pretty smart guy. He's a pagan. He's a pagan. We'll cover the gods that he worshiped. There were two in particular, kind of a yin and a yang, and you'll see them momentarily. But this is a liberator of freedom, dignity, and wealth. God's speaking of him, and he says of him, he's my shepherd. He will perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. He's going on to say that, that he is my anointed. God is anointing, listen, God is anointing a pagan.
1: You go, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that.
0: <laughs> I, I travel and I get the privilege to speak to pastors and oftentimes pastors go, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I, I'm tired of voting for the lesser of two evils. And you've heard what I said. I go, well, unless Jesus Christ is running for office, you'll always be voting for the lesser of two evils. <laughs> well, I can't vote for a president who's been three times married and twice divorced. I go, I understand that. And by his own admission, he slept with every person in New York. And then porn star after porn star. And I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty sad. Yes. yes. Hello. Yes. I know it's a little hard for you to say. Cause a lot of your before yes. <laughs> and the room's divided. Some like him, some don't, but let's just look at it this way. Freedom, dignity, wealth, freedom, dignity, wealth, freedom, dignity, wealth. This is a pagan King thousands of years ago that conquered the known world with a simple idea that you make the individual blessed. You liberate them. You give them freedom, dignity, wealth. Freedom, dignity, wealth. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That's a Jeffersonian way of saying any idiot can understand this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Equal. Endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For this reason, governments were instituted among men for the preservation of those rights. Yes? Yes? Declaration of Independence. And a person comes on the scene to bring to them freedom, dignity, and wealth. These three together constitute the greatest happiness of humanity. Happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, they're not beholden. They have the freedom of of economics to build for themselves houses and plant vineyards, to raise their families, to, to worship their God or gods. A pluralistic society that allows them to continue. Like America, and nowhere in the Declaration of Independence do you see the word Jesus Christ. It says the laws of God, the laws of nature and nature's God. Our founders were brilliant in that capacity, realizing that we are going to have a government that is going to have multiple religions in it. This will be the compact of our government. This will be the the mission statement and our declaration or our constitution will be our bylaws. But this is the idea that we will all be able to operate together. The laws of nature and nature's God. It doesn't matter if you're a pagan. It doesn't matter if you're Christian. You're still bound by the laws of gravity. Hope I didn't break it. We're all bound by that. The laws of nature and nature's God. And the laws of nature are simple. The laws of reciprocity, these ideas of building wealth. If you do good to someone else for wealth to be created, two parties have to benefit. Businesses are created. What's fascinating to me is my son was saying, Dad, when I'm at school, uh, a bunch of the students at the school Comment about uh, they they watched this thing on Netflix about President Trump and how he blah 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 and he takes tax incentives from New York and da 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 and and it was a very negative thing and folks are you know like I can't support him and their generation and I said son let me just ask you one simple question has a poor man ever given you a job? I'll let that marinate for a while because apparently that didn't seem to affect you as it did my son. He's smart. He picked it up. Let's try it with you again. Has a poor man ever given you a job? (laughs) Jobs are created by those, the greatest risk, the greatest reward. And they create something. Everyone owns a smartphone. No one forced you to buy it, but they made your life simple, and you said it's worth it. And money is a representation of the contribution you've made to society. And so when they make a contribution, they get wealthy. And you go, well, you're too rich. I deserve some of that. Why? Did anyone force you to buy the phone that they made? They made your life simple. And that's why the Lord says that that you don't steal and you don't covet. And these principles of creating a culture where people are free to design and create. And they're going to be benefited by what they do. And I said, you know, son, you know what's interesting about the president of the United States? As immoral as he is, he employs twenty-two to 25,000 people in his businesses in the United States. You combine all of the employees of every member of Congress that they hire, it doesn't equal what the president hires, Twenty-two to 25,000 employees, and he pays their Social Security, he pays their, their, their um, employee tax. Many of them in the government are public servants, which means they're on the dole. Government doesn't create wealth, it just divides it. I said, this is a man who understands business. He's been doing it his whole life. And I said, now he's running the government like a business. I said, you like him or you don't like him, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. He understands the media. He understands arts and entertainment, number one television show in America. Media, he, his Twitter account goes through the roof. Politics, he, he beat 16 Republican candidates and the most well-funded Democratic candidate in the history of the, the country. He understands family. His kids love him. His ex-wives have great appreciation for him. He's not the best, you know, example for us to follow, but that's interesting. Religion, he's working on it. (laughs) Business, the Trump brand is known around the world. We just go through these cultural mountains of influence. He understands them. And you go, well, still, still, how can God use someone like that? Well, all I have to tell you is in my lifetime, including Ronald Reagan, the first president I voted for. In my lifetime, he's the first president who has given a defense, the, the strongest defense of the unborn in any major presidential debate was him. Some of you, I get it. You, you don't like him. I, I understand that. I get that. This is what's so fascinating about Cyrus. Cyrus. He didn't get these kingdoms by going, "Hey, can you move? I just wanted to take that."
1: Right. No, ah, 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 ah,
0: ah. he's a warrior. You go. Well, how can God anoint him? And Romans thirteen says God appoints all positions of authority. How did he get to be president? Coming down that escalator, I'm going to be president of the United States. Everyone's laughing you. <laughs> oh my gosh! Everyone was like, "What happened?" Right? And some people go, yeah, what happened? Everybody said what happened. Doesn't matter who you are for. You, what happened? You go to bed going, this is depressing. You go to bed, this is depressing. You wake up, this is great, this isn't great. What happened? Well, God moved. You say, well, what did he do? Well, let's think about this. Whenever you can, act as a liberator, freedom, dignity, wealth, these three together constitute the greatest happiness of humanity. If you bequeath all three to your people, their love for you will never die. So the first thing he does, and you're going to see this with Cyrus he allows the Jews, and by American standard, he declares Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. What benefit is that? He made a promise. He kept it. And you're thinking, well, that's pretty remarkable. You hear him talk about prayer, and you see some of the people who places in there. And I'm going, I like that. And then he Twitters. And I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> who is this guy? And you think, how can God use somebody like that? How can God use somebody like that? And I tell pastors, I can't, I can't vote for somebody immoral. I go, I get it. But if you're going to hold that line, you need to take Samson and Rahab out of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Remove them. Judges 14, 15, and 16. Just get rid of them. Why? I say, well, come on. Name one moral thing about Samson's life. One. And here it says in Isaiah 44, he is my shepherd. He shall perform my pleasure. He's going to rebuild the temple. He says, he, the Lord, uh, thus says the Lord to his anointed, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him. The spirit of the Lord is upon Cyrus. I want to take you to Samson. He spends an entire night in a prostitute's bed. She ties his hands. And what happens? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, breaks the bonds. The Spirit of the Lord came upon a man a man who was in a prostitute's bed for an entire night. Not once, not twice, three times. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him when he was going back to pay a gambling debt. Why would God pick him? Why? Rahab. He picks Rahab. A prostitute running a brothel who lies to protect the Israelis are the Jewish spies. and she's blessed. <laughs> Why? Why? Here's the answer, Judges 14:4. 4. What Samson's parents didn't realize is God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Samson was equipped to do what God's people were unwilling to do, and that was to confront the Philistines. Cyrus could do what everyone else couldn't. He was equipped. He knew how to lead. He knew how to govern armies. And God was going to use him as he used Samson, as he used Rahab, as he may be using the president. I don't know completely at this point, but I'm sure thrilled with some of the stuff he's doing. Not so thrilled with other things. And that's the point. (laughs) And you look at that and you say, okay, what do we have here? And here's what blows my mind and what comforted me. Because my family is a microcosm. Of the macrocosmic issue of America, you say you don't understand what's going on in America, and you no, I do. I eat it for dinner every night. I get it. Evan Lowe, the author of AB twenty nine forty three, we're going to meet this week together, inviting a few folks to come. He's reaching out to me. We've been trying to build through this, and and I, I I've met with Evan. I've met with Assembly um, Woman uh, uh, Irwin. And, and as and as I do this, I come from a position of strength. And the thing that strengthens me is passages of scripture like this. And here's why. Again, look at forty four, chapter forty four, verse twenty eight. God, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple, your foundation shall be laid. We see this guy, here's one of his quotes, here's another, I am Cyrus, king of the universe, since the gods of foreign lands made permanent sanctuaries, which are now dilapidated. I return people to their lands and made provisions to rebuild. You cannot be buried in obscurity. You are exposed upon a grand theater to the view of the world. If your actions are upright and benevolent, be assured they will augment your power and happiness. Cyrus the great. We know this is true. He's a historical figure, a nine inch, four inch wide cylinder that was found called Cyrus cylinder. They found it. It's in, it's in uh Acadian kind of like a cuneiform and it declares all these things and it re- reveals them who this man is. His, 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 the realms he conquered, and this is a clay brick from the 6th century. It was discovered in biblical city of Ur. It was written in Babylonian cuneiform. The inscription reads, Cyrus, king of the world, king of Anshan. The great gods delivered all the lands into my hands, and I made this land dwell in peace. And the Bible names are all listed in there. And what's fascinating is people go, well, that never existed. That doesn't exist. The Bible's fully. And they dig where the Bible says dig, and they find what the Bible says is there. And you go, I don't, I don't buy it. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Did you, did you have a comparative religion class? at your community college and you're smart. Look at you. Seriously, you you want to have a conversation. Let's sit down and take a look at some of these things. I don't mean to mock you in some ways I do because I want you to be shaken out of being indoctrinated instead of educated. And God picks this man. Who's a pagan. Pagan. And this pagan worship, this, this God was called Angra Manya. And this was the God of darkness. And it contended like a yin yang with this God who's called Ahura Mazda. And that's where they get the Mazda car thing. Ahura Mazda. This is a God of good. This is a God of evil. And they balance each other. And, and this was what he worshiped. He leaned more there than anything else. And and he's raised with a pagan mindset. And here, you ready? God wrote this. What you're holding in your hand, Isaiah 44:28 and 45, 1 through 13, he wrote this. Pay attention. 200 years before Cyrus was ever even a twinkle in his father's eye. The Medo-Persian empire didn't exist. Babylon was massive. The Jews were in exile. Not even yet. They would be in exile and they're going to be reading about this guy. And this guy is going to take over Babylon. Surrounded by the Euphrates River, seventh wonder, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The hanging guards of Babylon were majestic, unbelievable, impregnable. It was the greatest empire in the history of the world. And a man who isn't even born yet, God is saying, he's going to take it down. He's going to take it down. And he goes through great lengths to describe it. Look at chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him. Loose the armors of kings. Open doors before him to double doors. Remember that, double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. Interesting, he opens these doors, the gates can't be shut. We'll cover that in a moment. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. He goes on to declare all these things. He lays it out. You come to the end of uh, verses 12 and 13. I have made the earth, God says, and created man on it. I, my hand, stretched out the heavens, and all the hosts I have commanded. I have raised them up in righteousness. I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. Fascinating passage. Fascinating passage of a pagan king. And God wrote this 200 years before Cyrus would be born. He says he would open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut And break in pieces the gates of bronze. And that's exactly what he did. The armies of the Medes and the Persians under Cyrus conquered the city of Babylon in a remarkable raid described in Daniel chapter 5, by the way. You see, Daniel chapter 5, Daniel has lived through the Babylonian Empire. He was taken into exile, as was stated in Isaiah. These 100-year-old scriptures. And he's, he's taken from his family... As a young teenager, he's castrated. He's placed in the court. He lives through three kings in Babylon. He rises to to great heights because he's faithful to God. He won't compromise. He's opening ancient scripts that mean nothing to him. He's reading things that don't even pertain to what he's dealing with. His family's dead. He's all alone. He's in exile. And it doesn't move him. He becomes stronger. He looks out at the night sky and he says, the God who holds this has got this handled. And you want to whine, take counsel from Daniel. And as he's on his third king in the Babylonian empire, it's Belshazzar. And and in Daniel five, they're having a party and they're raging and having this huge party and they're surrounded by the Euphrates river and 22 story walls. And they call for all the vessels that had been taken from the temple when they destroyed the temple. And they said, bring them out of storage and let's party with these vessels. And they pour the wine in and they're drinking and praising the gods of wood, hay, stubble and stone. And they're drunk. And they're mocking God. Because they're on the seat of authority. And I got news for you. That's Babylon. I, when you go to Sacramento, the, the California Teachers Association Union building looks like a ziggurat. And, and you think that the halls of government stand in defiance to God, that they will succeed. Does that move you? Daniel's surrounded by it. He's in exile. He's castrated. His family's dead. He's reading these scrolls. and He's saying, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I don't care how dry you are. God's in control. When I'm looking, saying, God, what's happening with my family? And I look up. And I realize that God who guides those stars and names them all every two seconds for 25,000 years, just in the Milky Way galaxy alone, holds those in the span of his hand. And Daniel, there he is that night when this occurrence in 539 B.C. with Cyrus. He comes to conquer Babylon, impregnable fortress, Belshazzar's having a party. And while he's having a party, the hand of God that wrote Isaiah 44 and 45, the hand of God, not attached to an arm, starts to scratch into the wall. Meanie, meenie, a teka And while that's being scratched on the wall, there is Cyrus and his men creeping up on the city. And I'll explain to you momentarily how that occurs But this is the party, and they see it written on the wall. And there's Belshazzar, and he sees it. And the scripture says his knees knocked in Daniel 5. Better translated, he soiled himself. I would, too, if I saw a hand scratching in a wall. His knees knocked. Translated how you wish. Meany, meany, tekel, parson. You've been weighed in the balance and have been found Wanting. This night, your kingdom will be taken from you and be given to the Medo-Persians. October 539 BC, Cyrus advanced into lower Mesopotamia, leaving Babylon till last. Conquered and occupied the surrounding territory, seeing which way the wind was blowing. Nabonidus of Babylon deserted his city, leaving it in charge of his son Belshazzar. Taking uh, The taking of Babylon was as bloodless and effortless as Daniel 6 implies. What they did is... They rerouted the Euphrates River to go into a swamp. And then the water level of the Euphrates that surrounded Babylon came down so that the men could walk across it. And they had left the gates unlocked. Because they didn't need to lock them because the water protected them. Cyrus walks in and takes over. And at the last moment, when, when Daniel comes in and translates, Meeny meaning, Techopharson, They're all stunned and and Belshazzar puts a chain around him and gives him a rose and says, you're the best. And that night his life was taken from him. And you know what's fascinating? Josephus and other Jewish historians say that when Cyrus came into Babylon after the party that night and the words that were written and killed the leaders, this old man, Daniel, Daniel 5 and 6, he's old, very old, he's probably in his 90s, when he had been exiled, back then it was really bad, Jim, today, unbelievable, and besides the 90, 90 is the new 60, can we move on? World War II veteran right there. Whom I have just insulted. (laughs) So Daniel, 130 years old at this point. (laughs) He was sent into exile as a teenager with the scrolls from his parents and all that he could keep the most loneliest points in his life when nothing made sense he would unravel these ancient scrolls hundreds of years old and he'd read them he'd meditate on them he would pray his heart would be strengthened God's word would not return void and now as he's aged his hands are arthritic and Cyrus comes under the gate Josephus and other historians say that Daniel, in his aged self, walked up to him. Arthritic fingers, takes the scroll. Come
1: here, boy. And he unravels it. Read it. Read And Cyrus, this is old. Yes, it is. Over 100 years older than me. Where'd you get it? My, my great-grandpa. And you've held it? Yes, I have. I, I knew this day would come. Read it. Okay, old man. God, who says of Cyrus,
0: he's my shepherd... He shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem you shall be built and the temple your foundation shall be laid thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and loose the armor of kings to open before him
1: wait what? 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 how old is this? I, 200 plus I've been waiting for you and you see that the gates were open you walk right in he came in. Where that? I told him that they have been weighed in the balance on one thing. I got the gold chain. What up, bro? Purple robe. I still got it. I still got it. I don't know if that happened, but it's there.
0: Micah, do we have Ezra? One, I didn't see the slides up there. All right. Cyrus is so moved, so moved by 200-year-old scriptures that an aged man unraveled with his arthritic fingers that he says this, Thus says the king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, And build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And then in verse 7, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put them in the temple of his gods. He says to Ezra, listen, the night I took over Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was partying with these. Daniel read to me something that was 200 years old, and I realized God's always been in control and you need to go build that temple and worship your king and he's mine too and these are the old pots and pans take them back to the temple and put them back into use and let's glorify this god who has had his hand on the heartbeat of my life before i was ever born a pagan king is humbled by a living god now i got news for you Ezra Isaiah Jeremiah, you're reading a scripture that was 200 years before Cyrus was ever born, moved him so much. He makes a decree and you don't think that decree exists. Read the Cyrus cylinder, do your homework. This is not an exercise in futility. The scriptures we memorize are the ones that hold us fast when our families are in turmoil When you don't know what's going on and you sit by the the banks of a lake and you look up at the night sky and the scriptures declare that it's his handiwork and he's named them all and he holds them in the span of his hand and he says, not one of my commandments will fall short. Everything I say is true and it will come to fruition. It speaks beyond the space-time continuum. And if this is the God of this passage and of this Bible, why would I ever lose sleep over the chaos of my family? He's got it. And the secret is, anything you give to God will never be lost. And I just say, Lord, you know I love my sister and my brother. You know I love my family. I don't know the answer to all this. And my problems are no different than yours. And I say, Lord, if you can manage the night sky, you certainly can take care of my family. And then the Lord comforts my heart by showing me, you want to see how well I got this? Take a look at this dude. I'm like, you are awesome. How do you do this? I'm God. <laughs> Two great truths of the universe. There is a God. And we are not him. Him. You're either going to trust idols or you're going to trust the Lord. And when I walk into the halls of government in Sacramento and I sit across a table from ideologically opposing views, I'm not intimidated. I'm not angry. I love them both. And I can simply say, you have no idea. Who's running things? You're under the myth that you somehow have authority. And you don't. You're either for him or against him. Cyrus figured it out. All of us can do it. Just look up and see the night sky and realize you know what? I thought Sacramento was a big deal but it is a gnat on the butt of an elephant and God you are in control of all of it and you're either going to trust him and find strength or you're going to cower and quit and the last time I checked his word he said to us we are more than conquerors that we don't have a spirit of fear but of power love and a sound mind and as Daniel can stand upon a word that won't come to fruition for over 70 years and it was written 100 before he was born and read it and trust it and walk out to a man who is a third his age and unravel that thing and say, look. then you can do the same. And if the only time you're reading it and basing your life upon it is when we gather here on Sundays, that's not a real strong foundation. We're trying to entice you with a trip to Israel to get that word into you? Tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you as long as you'll allow the word to be the foundation of your life. What do you want? Anything up to half my kingdom. Why is it so hard to take the living word of God that held Daniel in the midst of complete confusion and his soul was steadfast that he would survive three kings and watch that empire dissolve before his very eyes and inspire another empire to repent of their paganism and embrace the living God. That's Daniel. That's us. Read it. Own it. And your life
1: will be strengthened by it.